Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we talk to experts from the media world about how journalists can do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. As we heard on the last episode, independent publishers in the UK produce some of the most meaningful public interest news, but they also operate on some of the smallest revenue. Why is that? My guest today is David Floyd, Managing Director of Social Spider, a London-based community interest company, which basically means the organisation has business enterprises working purely for the community benefit. Social Spider runs five non-profit community newspapers in London boroughs, Waltham Forest Echo, Tottenham Community Press, Enfield Dispatch, EC1 Echo and Barnet Post. David talks to me today about the real challenges of running and growing these types of independent news operations. That includes bootstrapping the organisation to the point of sustainability, finding and retaining talent, and being excluded from key revenue from the government. Stay tuned for more on all of that after a quick word on this exciting training opportunity. Fancy becoming a successful freelance journalist? Join experienced freelance journalists Lily Kenser and Emma Wilkinson for a four-week course which lifts the lid on the secrets of successful self-employment. For that course and all the other great courses we run, visit www.journalism.co.uk forward slash courses. David, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thanks for jumping on. Hello. No problem. Would you mind telling our audience a little-known fact about yourself, please? Yeah, I mean, I suppose a little-known fact about myself for people who might know me through journalism would be that um, I'm also very much involved in poetry and I'm, uh, for a number of years was a performance poet and uh, still involved in uh, editing and supporting uh, bits of the, the poetry scene. Do you do you go to like open mic nights and stages and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, and for, for a long time, I I, I ran a, a weekly uh, poetry night. You realise you've you've set yourself up to uh, to expect some very elegant uh, sound bites from you today and uh, turns of phrases. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer several questions in rhyming couplets. <laughs> oh, terrific. The day job, of course, is is running Social Spider, and you know beneath that, you've also got the independent titles dotted around uh, London. Mm. David, I don't want this to be a too basic of a question, but what do we mean by public interest local journalism? What specifically does that mean? You know, are we talking potholes and and councils, or or what? There is a a way this is phrased in the Cairncross Review, which is something to do with you know the mundane day to day activities at a local level, or or, or something like that. I may not have got exactly correct. It, it's primarily about holding the the big players at a local level to account you, you have organizations particularly local councils but also you know the local branch of the nhs you know the, the ccg uh the you know the local police you know and other local public sector agencies particularly but potentially also some of the largest local businesses in some areas you, you have these are these kind of organizations who at a particular local level they're massive and they have loads of power at a national level, you know, they're, they're not really significant unless they do something really, really bad. <laughs> so it really is at a local level where what they do really matters and what, what they do needs to be needs to be held to account. There is that real importance of making sure that people taking key decisions locally are scrutinised and public interest news and holding power to account is not necessarily about saying the council's bad. 
it, but it is about people in the local area knowing about the decisions that are being taken on their behalf and understanding what's going on. So you get a picture, you know, on what basis has this big planning decision been been taken? You know, what, how long do you have to respond to a consultation on this big change that might happen to this particular service? And that's stuff that, that is, is not a national story, but at a local level, it's really, really important. Yeah, I think that paints a good picture. Um, possibly another simple question for you. Is it a tough gig? Yes, it, 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 it's, an, it's an extremely tough gig. I think that's one of the most important things to emphasise, that the likes of us coming in as independents and, and you know, new players in, in the local news field are coming into a situation of market failure. You know, up to the mid-2000s, uh, local news was a licence to print money for, for local news publishers. Um, some of them did a wonderful job in those lovely circumstances. There were the were great local newspapers. There were some which were really quite poor quality, lowest common denominator products, but still made huge profits based on uh, often a monopoly or near monopoly position over the, the local advertising market and, and a real need for people to advertise locally through through local newspapers because there wasn't, there wasn't a viable alternative to it. That gradual process that started towards the end of the 1990s with the rise of the internet and the likes of Gumtree and, and Google and Facebook, I mean, you know, more prominently, you know, that classified advertising market doesn't exist in any meaningful way now. So, so, so that advertising market is not anything like what it was. And, you know, and it's a collapse of kind of epic proportions it's not a sort of 10 or 15 percent drop in in, in, in income it's, a, it's an 80 percent drop in, in income so the market situation is is very difficult and you know the proposition for for someone coming into the local news market is different to what it was if you were if you were launching a publication in in 20 or 30 years ago some of the changes are positive as well as negative, but it's a very different proposition. You, you wouldn't now be thinking, how can I launch a local news group to make a shed load of money? The last index of independent news publishing by the Public Interest News Foundation revealed that the average independent publisher operates with around £42,000 of annual revenue. Social Spider's revenue is a bit higher, somewhere between 300 to 400,000 pounds, and it's been growing over the last few years since its first title Waltham Forest Echo was launched in 2014, and it's managed to add four more titles since then. Three of those are now almost breaking even. Most of its income comes from print advertising of these titles. Digital advertising is also growing, but it's from such a small starting point, David says it's yet to make a significant dent. For the past three years, it's also actively run a paid voluntary membership. That's got about 350 members signed up across the five titles, paying £5 a month. It's valued income, but when you have overheads and living wages of 15 staff members, it only goes so far. An easy solution would be to fill the pages with ads and end up with an inferior product that risks alienating readers. The problem that independent news organisations face starting out is that most are not willing to sacrifice the quality of their product in this way. Because of that, they need to bootstrap themselves for at least 12 months to reach a point of growth and sustainability. That means they're losing money for a while before they can break even. Social Spider has managed to bridge that gap through another arm of the organisation, its research and consultancy work. But this is precisely where many news outlets hit a wall. They cannot diversify that operation enough because they're stretched too far.
some of the boroughs we, we, we're based in, you know, Water Forest has a population of about 250,000, Barnet has a population of 400,000. In Barnet, if one in 400 people paid five pounds a month, they could have a really, really good local news publication. Um, but to get to the point where one in 400 people are, are paying you five pounds a month, one question is, is it possible? I mean, don't entirely know, it might be, but to test it, to, to really get the information out and to really communicate with local people at the level that you'd find out, I think you'd have to burn through an awful lot of money to do that. There's a question of, will philanthropic funders come in? And you know, if, if a philanthropic funder came to me and said, well, we'll give you a hundred thousand pounds over two years and hopefully by the end of that two years we'll have a thousand people um, paying five pounds a month and, and it will work I'd, I'd absolutely love to have the opportunity to, to take on that challenge there isn't currently any funders offering that kind of opportunity at that at that scale if you want to get some money to do some workshops in your local area training local people in citizen journalism that kind of money is relatively readily available but in terms of money to actually support the core activity of journalism through through philanthropy, currently there is there is nothing available in the UK. I mean, you know, literally, literally zero. I think that's why the Ken Cross Review tried to tackle the definition of journalism a little bit more, so that it would help to you know facilitate that um, acquisition of, of of money coming through. I I don't want to see in the long term local journalism being bankrolled by philanthropy I, I, I don't think that's really the answer I, I think you do need to have models where ultimately local communities take the decision do we want this thing or not I, I, I would like if we take that Barnet example again I would like the people of Barnet to, to have those two years of having that brilliant philanthropically funded local news publication without any advertising and that you know, does a really good job but is saying all along, well, we need a thousand people to sign up your five pounds a month. And then then people in that local area can take that choice. If at the end of those two years, 25 people have signed up or even only 200 people have signed up, then then that choice has been taken and we know where we are. But, but currently, the money that has been going in has mostly been money from both governments and and uh, to extend social media platforms, but to try and prop up the failing models of the corporate operators rather than to genuinely support the development of different people doing new models. And that, that's where, where the gap has been. So what meaningful support and funding do you get from the government, as is right now? We don't get any, any support at all from the government. Would you like to see that change? I don't think I would want the state bankrolling journalism either. There's, 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 lots, of, there's lots of difficulties with that. But... The single biggest example, we currently have the public notices system, which you, you, you may well be aware of. It's a very nerdy area of activity. But um, councils are, are compelled to, to um, put out notices advertising a range of things in terms of you know, planning inquiries and, 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 and the like. And you know, the amounts of money spent in, you know, on these are, are very large. I mean, based on a Freedom of Information request a local resident did in, in, in Walton Forest, where we're based roughly £100,000 a year in, in, in 
recent years has gone to NewsQuest uh, for, for the public notices um, advertising for, for London Borough of Waltham Forest. That is double the budget of our newspaper, the Waltham Forest Echo. All, all that money has, has, gone, has gone to NewsQuest, which uh, their local publication in Waltham Forest has a circulation of around uh, 2,000 copies. Ours has a circulation of 15,000 copies, albeit on a monthly basis. But even though there's uh, fewer, fewer issues, we're still distributing an awful lot more copies to, to local people than they are and doing a lot more local news. The reason why that anomaly exists is that the notional position is that public notices have to go out in a newspaper that is published every two weeks or more, more frequently. So if you publish a newspaper every week and, and sell it to a thousand people, you can get a hundred grand a year uh, public notice contract. If you publish a newspaper monthly and distribute it to 50,000 people, you can't get a public notice contract. Uh, and that's not a system that has been set up with any evil intention it's a kind of anachronism that, that's just there that hasn't been changed due to the changing times but corporate local news publishers are, are very firm about not wanting any change or amendment to that system and, and and not allowing that market to open up to new providers and the changed market and and what that does particularly particularly in areas like as a london borough level where you have corporate publications who have literally withdrawn from the provision of news but are still providing the the, the the papers as a thing really restricts the ability of that market to renew itself we're not asking for government to give us money in that context we are asking for a level playing field for, for new and independent providers so that people who are actually providing local news can get some of the money which really is essentially there to subsidize local news but would you really like public notices in your newspaper content i think earlier on we talked about the impasse of you know if you want to have high quality journalism that comes at the cost of of revenue and and there's the counter kind of point if you do low quality journalism that seems to thrive do you really want public notices in you know social spider newspapers yeah i i i really want a hundred thousand pounds a year <laughs> having that income would enable us to do more high quality journalism if we had to put in 12 pages of public notices in each monthly edition of our newspaper. Unlike the corporate publications, we would add pages, we would employ more journalists and, and, and we would do more journalism and you know, obviously we'd balance those amounts of money out. But the problem at the, the local level, particularly at a borough level, is there aren't any other advertisers with anything like that kind of, of advertising spend. You know, you, you've got the council spending 100 grand the next biggest advertising spend at a local level is going to be someone spending between five or 10 grand, <laughs> you know, and, and there's not very many of them. You know, if we could get a public notice contract, we can afford a, a four day a week role as editor of our, of, of our newspaper. If we had that uh, public notice contract, we could afford two and a half, three editorial positions for, for the local borough. So, yeah. The effect would be the council's money, which they have to spend anyway, would be going into providing local jobs, people based in the local area working and reporting locally on, on news in, in their local area, rather than spending the same amount of money and that money leaving the area to, to go into um, some corporate profits and ultimately, you know, in the case of NewsQuest, going back to Gannett and, and whoever, whoever Gannett's ultimate owner now is in, 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 the, in, in the US. The UK government launched a kickstart scheme in 2020 that provided funding to employers to create jobs for 16 to 24 year olds on universal credit. 
that's a mean-tested benefit for people of working age who are on a low income. Social Spider managed to offer a few editorial and wider company roles through the scheme, but surprisingly, the need was not actually there for people to take advantage of this opportunity. We created a number of opportunities, but it, unfortunately not all of them you know, were able to be filled because there just weren't, there weren't enough young people in the position to take on those roles in, in, those, in those circumstances, which you know, in a way is unfortunate, but in a way it's also good that they got better paid jobs and, and, and life went on. But it's a scheme that would have worked very well in a situation where there genuinely was high unemployment, but as it was, there wasn't. Yeah. A little bit has come out of that, but not as much as you would have hoped. No, I, I mean, so just to give an example of one of the things we were able to do with it, we were able to create a six-month position where um, uh, Haran Naresh came in and, and was our Tottenham Hotspur football reporter and reported on the games at, at Tottenham Hotspur for our publication, uh, Haringey Community Press, on a, on a week-to-week basis. And, and he did a wonderful job of that, you know, he, as our regular football reporter. Haran is a great writer, and I think you know, he, he can have a, a really, really good future as a, as a sports writer. And that's an opportunity he otherwise wouldn't have got, which Kickstart funded. But it wasn't generating the level of clicks and online income which would have enabled us to to self-fund that after the kickstart funding ran out so unfortunately that was only a, a temporary position and it was great we were really pleased to offer around that opportunity and, and, and really enjoyed having him working with us on that but it was kind of a, a temporary measure so who are your journalists then where do you recruit them from because there's a big discussion in the industry about not recruiting from the university pool looking for other ways to maybe retrain people as journalists later on Again, things like the Kickstarter scheme, more apprenticeships. Where do your journalists come from? Some people have joined our, our organisation like through getting involved as volunteers and then ultimately uh, being taken on to staff team. Uh, some people have been involved with the organisation in other roles in sort of you know, business development and research and then then taken on journalism roles. Others have, have come through through open open recruitment. We have quite a mix. And, and you know, we, we've employed a number of journalists who have had a, their first journalism role with us. So not having prior experience is not necessarily a, a, a barrier to, to, to working with us. And, and one of our editors, um, Richard Robinson, who's our, our editor in, in Haringey for Haringey Community Press, previously worked in, in education and, and then gone back to university. And you know, she, she's got a journalism qualification, uh, but this was her first role coming into journalism, having, having had a change of career uh james cracknell our, our editor-in-chief was uh over a sort of 10-year period he probably worked for most of the the big corporates and then initially got involved with us as a volunteer because he, he lived in Waltham forest and then gradually started working for us part-time and then then went full-time with us uh um vicky munro who is our uh, editor in in Waltham forest was previously the local democracy reporter uh for the local area and you know, worked for NewsQuest and then joined us as local democracy reporter and moved over to to become the editor of Waltham Echo. So it's you know, relatively young uh, journalist, but from a, a conventional corporate local news background. It is a real mix. We would like to create as many jobs in local news as we possibly can and offer them to the most diverse range of people that we can do. That, that, once again, though, is, is from our point of view, is really a resource issue. 
because particularly the the editor jobs around newspapers are really really hard jobs <laughs> and, um, you know, and not to put your final point on it they're, they're, they're really really hard jobs that you have to do for not a particularly large amount of money for, for, for um, from our point of view we would love to have the opportunity to create more more intermediate level jobs so that we could offer people who are really good writers based in the local area the opportunity develop their journalism skills on the job working for us and, and do their NCTJ TJ training while working for us and, and that kind of thing and to, to do that at a significant level well, we'd love to have the chance to do that but but it's it, it's the resource issues make that really really difficult because it's, it's such a competitive jobs market there's so many really good people prepared to do jobs for very low amounts of money that gives me uh, many questions. So I'm going to have to try and pick kind of one of three, <laughs> three right now. But the the talent question is an interesting one, isn't it? Because as you said, I mean, you're you're operating on, you know, um, limited revenue. There's limited salary. Isn't that a headache? Like when you get talent on board, like trying to keep hold of them, worried about you know potentially them moving elsewhere and keeping hold of them. If, if they're people who really want to do local news journalism, it's not it's not a worry, <laughs> because you know. We don't. We have small amounts of money, but we pay better than, than corporate local news publishers um, because local news wages are terrible. But there's definitely a worry about will they need to move to other jobs. I mean, I mean, the people working as as our editors could definitely earn lots more money working in corporate comms if they wanted to. <laughs> Potential increase in their salary would be absolutely massive um, overnight. So we hope that for people who really want to do local news these will be some of the best jobs out there that, that they could get. But in, in terms of what could a really clever person who's, who's good at writing and finding things out do with their life to make some more money, there would definitely be ways they could do it, which uh, make a lot more money than, than uh, working for us. You, you mentioned that there was sort of training on the job there, but they can do their sort of NCTJs while they're working with you. Who pays for that? That was on my mind because we're about to take on someone as part of the NCTJ meta-funded community news project we will be able to take on someone who isn't necessarily particularly experienced uh depending on, on the candidates that, that are around and, and then in, in that instance that nccj training will be paid for via the program so that would be a wonderful opportunity but previously when you've had staff who've been promoted into editorial roles have they received training on the job to do that as well well they haven't received outside training i mean they've received internal training and support from our editorial team we're not in a position where we could pay for people to go on go on courses uh, you know unless it's part of a funded program such as the community news project I, I guess the question i'm reaching here is what qualifications are necessary to do the journalism that you do yeah i think that's a really interesting question and the answer is kind of it depends how you're going to do it we produce uh, a monthly newspaper and obviously our content also also goes online you don't necessarily need to be an nctj trained journalist or even someone with a journalism degree to fill those pages in a way that will produce a decent product which readers will enjoy and that will do something positive for the local area but if you're not a trained journalist there'd definitely be particular things that you wouldn't be able to do as part of that and we'd have to change the emphasis of the way you do things i mean to be able to do any any crime reporting, anything related to court, you know, media law is a must, isn't it? In those instances, exactly. You can't have an untrained have a go hero doing your court reporting. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, have a go hero. 
<laughs> that is only going to lead to disaster for all involved. And we would never put someone in that position where they were setting themselves up to, to, to get in legal trouble. But we may get an opportunity, depending on the sort of funding opportunities that arise, where we may start a, a publication in a local area which doesn't involve trained journalists, and uh, but that we'd have to tailor the product that's produced you know, according to what is safe and reasonable for, for people who are not trained journalists to do. And, and you, you could do something, and it, it could potentially be very good, but it wouldn't it wouldn't be quite the same as what we currently do, uh, where you have you know James and Victoria in particular who are you. Know, have a conventional local news background you know alongside the skills and experience they've developed with us which, which means that they can do that that news reporting stuff in, in a way that someone who wasn't trained would not be in a position to do and and i just also want to pick up on the local democracy reporter scheme you said you had a few of those in working with you your thoughts how's that been yeah i i i think it's better that it exists that it doesn't exist and and as a as an initiative to deal with in terms of dealing with the people at the BBC who run it and you know, that, that group is it, very positive. They're a really good uh, group of people to, to engage with. It's not an ideal situation that it's needed. <laughs> I, I don't think the, the long-term solution for public interest news reporting at a local level is for the BBC to subsidise it in that way. And I think particularly with the changes which are anticipated to, to the licence fee, the BBC have already said, I think, that that potentially places this scheme in, in, in doubt in the long term. Currently, what it achieves is really positive and we're very glad to host those reporters and they do a great job and we think the value of the scheme is, is very strong. But in terms of as a funding model, I don't can't really see it being a long-term solution finally from me then uh, david wrapping up a couple of things on your wish list to help smaller independent you know community titles fare better in this digital economy what would be on your wish list i want to see smaller operators such as ourselves get the support we need and have a better environment to operate in but also i think if a new big player came in with significant venture funding but wanted to do actual news focused local news reporting as opposed to extraction focused um, business models, then it would be good to have a market which, which supported that as well. It is about how do we make sure that the funding and incentives uh, within local news support the, the ongoing and growing production of local news and, and, and high quality news news products and, and also news products that are responsive to local communities. You know, how do we make sure that the subsidy and support is supporting what it wants to support rather than being misaligned and misdirected you know it, it ought to be that the best route to generating income in the local news business is to produce high quality local journalism <laughs> yeah that's the situation that, that i'd like to see and, and and in that situation i'd be very happy for us to be competing alongside for profit providers in, as well as corporate ones i mean that the frustration is, is is that that is not currently the the playing field that we have and that the action of government and philanthropists is not serving to create that playing field currently and that that is that's a frustration does part of the answer lie in a uk version of the news bargaining code which might allow independent publishers to bargain for more you know uh, digital advertising from from big tech yeah it might do i mean I, i i would have to see the detail of that and see see what might be available um anything that does create a more 
plural landscape and opens the door for for, for um, a wider range of publishers is a good thing. I think currently the platforms uh, Google and you know, Facebook Meta have so far not not been as interested as they might have been in in newer and innovative approaches. It, it has more been how can we quieten down the moaning and groaning of the existing large corporate providers and make them go away by chucking some money at them rather than how can we work with people actually doing new things and having new focused approaches so, so i think it'd be good to see a shift from those organizations in terms of their approach but you know ultimately it's not google and facebook's responsibility to solve the problem of local news it is to some extent, government's problem in terms of setting the landscape. I mean, it's not government's problem to pay for it, but it is, it is government's problem to, to make sure that the market conditions that it creates and the structures that it creates are, are fair and are, are a playing field, which are pro-social um, and are supporting the outcomes that people actually want, which are is you know, high quality local news, rather than subsidizing the profits of a of declining models and and, and and government really really needs to look at itself in terms of what it's done so i i think government has has not taken the plural view this is not about lots of ongoing subsidy necessarily it, it is about supporting the development of an innovative plural market and, and that is what they've been failing to do and they need to change that and where does that start well, it potentially starts with things like public notices and, and reforming that in a way that supports pluralism. But it also potentially looks at you know, whether the, the funding is, is available for really testing innovative, particularly not-for-profit and community models at a scale which is meaningful rather than at a tiny scale. I, I mean, if, if there was a, a fund which in the great scheme of things would be tiny, if there was, for example, a five million fund for independent community news that would be absolutely transformative in terms of the, the sector that that we're part of that, you know five million pounds you know in the local news industry is a drop in the ocean but for independent community news in terms of testing out innovative models it would have a massive impact and would enable the likes of what i'm i'm suggesting in barnet to be tried out you know you could have 50 similar trials of two years of really high quality local news without advertising and seeing whether local people wanted that and seeing what would happen. And that could potentially be transformative. Not all these models would work, but it would be something genuinely different. But the problem is currently the way the government operates is if a 5 million local news innovation fund was set up, you would have the, the NMA coming in and saying, why aren't you giving this five million pounds to us to subsidize our existing models? The government minister would would get this angry call from the NMA. They would crumble and they say, okay, well, all this money can go to partially subsidize, you know, you know, the, the big five local news publishers to to reduce their profits at a slightly more manageable level over the coming years rather than testing out innovative models through the independent sector. That's what currently would happen because the government is not approaching this with any wider vision or any backbone and and and, and that as i say it's not that's not the big five local news publishers fault they're right to lobby for their interests that's their job it's government's fault for not having a vision and not having any backbone it needs to start doing so brilliant david thank you so much for jumping on the podcast it's been a real blast no problem i've enjoyed it great to speak to david there and lots to keep an eye on as we continue this important conversation 
There is a lot for independent news publishers to juggle, not just maintaining healthy cash flow, but having one eye on innovation, talent and diversified revenue. For fresh news outlets, reaching that point of sustainability is hard, and they need more support to weather the critical first 12 months. If you like what we heard today, do check out all of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. And if you'd like to feature on the show or have any thoughts on today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Please do drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for today. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.